Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained. And I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Uh, today's guest, um, today's topic actually, is on business succession planning. If only I could speak. Business succession planning. <laughs> um, business succession planning is basically um, what happens if I want to retire and I own a business? And what's the best way to be able to keep the business alive, no pun intended, while I retire so that I can maximize the value of the business? And I have a guest here with me today uh, by the name of Mike Egan, very close friend of mine. And it just so happens that his business succession plan happened to include me. So therefore, it's very special in my heart. And so with no further ado, welcome, Mike. Thank, Thank you very much for joining today. Thank you for having me, Mike. That's Thank good. You for having me. I, I look forward to you telling a little of the story of your background and eventually kind of getting into uh, you know, how and what got you into the financial services and then more when you started to think of business succession planning. So tell me a little bit of the background. <laughs> and by the way, I am proud to announce uh, that Mike is a veteran, um, served in the Vietnam War uh, Purple Heart on two occasions, and I am proud to be associated with a fine gentleman like this. So uh, thank you for your service. I wanted to bring that up. Thank, thank you, you, Mike. It was my pleasure to serve our country and to serve you and my family. It was a, my honor and pleasure. Good. Well, thank you very much. So tell me, tell me... Uh, well, I, started all began. In, I started in the industry uh, 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 in uh, late 1973. Wow. So I started in an insurance company and uh, worked my way up the managerial ladder, got as far as I could, and then really left and uh, started my own and so starved. What so were I had you to doing? go back to school. What were you doing with the insurance company? Were you selling insurance? Were you, and then you got into managerial. What, what, what I was I started that? out as an agent. Uh, in fact, it was the old-fashioned debit agents where they would go and collect uh, the, the dollars for the premiums for wow. the insurance. And, uh, you mean they didn't have online bill pay in 1973 no, yet? not at all. You had to collect everything. Oh, how you about that? Collect the cash and collect the quarter a week insurance policy. It was really, it was an event because it was really the turning point in the insurance industry. Really? It was uh, the older system that was around from the 20s was leaving and the new system was coming in. We were the new generation, especially after the war because we began to buy houses that had larger mortgages and mm -hmm. buy term and invest the difference was right. the philosophy then. Right. So that's how it really began to change in the industry. Interesting, so you were literally collecting premiums every week, not monthly? Every week. Really? Every week you would have uh, certain stops that you made. Mm -hmm. And then what you did was when you stopped and you collected money at that particular house, 
on the even Mondays, you would go to the right and knock on the doors and say, <laughs> hi, I'm, I'm Michael Egan, and I got an idea that's interesting and valuable. Okay. But those days, it was only about five or six really major insurance companies sure. that had all that, and that was the system, was the debit system. Right. So I was coming to the end of it, and, and uh, to me, it was an old-fashioned system, and I was the younger generation that wanted to move into Nice. Into, okay. Uh, and then, of course, you had some success as an agent. Then they start to promote you, and you, go in, you work your way up in management. Right, right. And as management, what did you do? You basically showed the new kids, so to speak, coming in yes, how you, to do what you used to you do? You recruited, you developed that new agent, and you developed yourself. So okay. they were the three main basic things that you would do. Well, you know, one thing that I can certainly see um, in the financial services industry, or any industry really, is albeit seeing people every week seems overkill, but it's an opportunity to keep in touch with your clients. Yeah. And it wasn't that, I mean, people paid you for the month, but you needed to be out. You had a book that was about this thick, so maybe wow. you had 200 customers and you had to collect from them every week because that was the system. Hmm. So did the company back then, how did they pay you? Did, were you paid to sell the insurance policies or were they also paying you to do this? That's a lot of service. Yes, it was two, there was two features. As you collected, you had what they call a debit book. So you received from the size of that, you received uh, 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 gratuity from the insurance company. They oh, okay. paid you off the book for servicing. And then also, if you wrote any new business, you received a commission. Okay. It reminds you know what it reminds me of? My friend who used to deliver newspapers. <laughs> Every week he would get the dollar twenty-five and and like ten cents of that dollar twenty-five was for him. him. And Christmas he used to always get all kinds of tips and it stuff. Was, so it was it was it's it our business has evolved so much from those days. Oh, uh, by the sound of it. Because what the way I was taught when I got into the insurance business was yeah, 5000 If you wrote a $10,000 whole life policy, you were like a king. Right. That was a really big deal, and people saved through cash values and sure. so forth. And, uh, but what was happening was the, um, I think, the Vietnam War at home, as tragic it was away, but at home, during that 12 or 14 year period of time, everybody's salary tripled. Yeah, and the I was country say. was moving faster, and when the war was over, um, new houses were being built, and younger people like me were getting married, mm -hmm. and we, we weren't buying what our parents bought. We were buying much larger homes. Well, you can say the same thing today. The same thing today is happening, exactly. It's, there's a new evolution going on in the financial marketplace. The well, technology it's, is... It's not just the financial marketplace. It's just it's everything. Everything. You're absolutely, so, and the thing is, when you said you sold a $10,000 policy in 1973, well, that was about the half the value of a home. I remember my parents bought a home. Yeah. In the early 60s, and it was like $25,000 for a big house. Yeah, that's right. And it so, was a massive house. Yes, yeah. it was. So then I could see the evolution because that $10,000 policy, uh, then inflation hit in the 70s and 80s. Yes. And so $10,000 didn't go anywhere near in 1990 than it did in 1973. That's correct. So is that when term became more as opposed to a cash value policy, is that when the evolution of term became? I believe it started. Yeah. Uh, we began to do 
actually we began to do financial planning. The younger guys that were in the business, we began to do financial planning. Those days they called it a security selector. So when you would uh, meet a new client or proposed client, you would now ask questions of what their finances were, what mm -hmm. their liabilities were, what their goals and objectives were where insurance before that time was just written to get some cash value and a death benefit. Well, you know, also cash value back then was a whole lot different than today. Sure Because is. when you're getting 6 or 8% interest, that's a whole lot different than today's interest rate environment where it's, you know, 1% is good. That's right, yes. And the, and the policies are different. The, uh, the structure of life insurance is different. Well, and the other thing, too, is, and, and I can see where the term makes a little more sense in, in for many people because they need a, a lot more insurance and the cash value is not collecting. It's not collecting. So, so the philosophy of buy term and invest the difference which nobody really ever invested the difference. Right, yeah, they know, invested in, in beer and, and food, right? And, and your needs were different. Uh, uh, the economy was starting to move fast. It was getting heated up. Uh, at those times, oil lines, there was oil lines, gas oh, lines. Oh, my gosh, I remember that. So there were struggles there, and the interest rates began to... Uh, really rise. I mean, you today, those days you got a mortgage for 12% or 14%. Oh, gosh, yes. You were lucky to yep, have yep. one. So, so the, those things started to transpire. Now, what was also happening was that the insurance industry itself was beginning to change. The insurance industry wanted to go into the financial end. I was so going to ask they, you that. You they wanted us all to get licensed for mutual funds. Okay. And that's what they wanted us to start to do. When was that about? I would say that that was right around the mid '70s. It started oh, in '76, '77. Really? What wasn't? What was the Glass Steagall Act? I should know that. What was the when all of a sudden? It's like I, I just remember it from this perspective. You had your insurance folks, and you had your stockbrokers. Yes. And then mutual funds. I didn't realize became popular yet. Uh, they didn't. And uh, it was really a shame. Mutual funds, the first mutual fund was in 1924. Mm -hmm. It was Franklin Income started the first mutual fund. And what occurred was they didn't really catch on because they didn't, nobody really understood it. Right. You got this book that was called the Prospectus and you gave uh, a stockbroker $25 a month into a mutual fund. Now that's began to happen. Were the stockbrokers selling mutual funds yes, at the time? They were they selling were. mutual funds. Really? Okay. They were Good selling mutual right. funds. Right. There was no fee-based planning. A stockbroker sold everything for commissions. Right. I remember and that. And during that era when the interest rates were starting to climb, what began to occur is the stockbrokers practically went out of business. They started to get into the insurance business. Interesting. Because they were starving. Why would somebody invest money, take the risk of the stock market in 1979? And, and when they could uh, put it in the bank uh, and get 14% on a seat. Right, exactly. And, it, and that's what was occurring. Interesting. Okay. So that's what, and then the insurance companies began to see this and they began to prepare their agents to get into the financial market. Interesting. It was a process that just took so long for them to do. Wow. It was a slow process. But we now eventually went back to the old days, which was back in 1920s and in the 1930s, where insurance companies now are into the into the investment end of it. Well, and then you got the investments are doing the financial and, planning. And the it's, banks are doing it's it. It's all integrated now. It's all integrated. It is. It's absolutely integrated. And, and, and it's rightfully so because 
our society itself has become more educated. Yeah. And they're more aware of finances and what began to occur. And the financial advisor had his place because of those days of learning how to uh, uh, propose life insurance to clients with a financial plan or with mm -hmm. a goal and objective. What were your needs? That insurance agent moved very nicely into I, the financial. I, I think fundamentally the insurance people did because it, if you really understand the need for insurance really is driven by the financial planning. Yeah. And that's one of the things is, you know, I was on a few different sides of the house. I was on, I worked in a bank at one point. I cut my teeth in the insurance side and the insurance really goes back a ways with the estate planning and all that. So I found that they had a lot of the knowledge that you didn't get at the time with the stockbrokers because they didn't have financial planning. That's really. right. They, they didn't were have just buying and selling stocks. Didn't have financial planning. That is correct. Right. So when did you morph into starting your own business? When was that? It was really, I left the, uh, I, I left the big corporation. I couldn't go any further up the ladder. I, I didn't have uh, um, my degree. I had a couple of years at college after the war, and that's all I had. And I had a difficult time really adjusting to society, and, and I left the insurance industry and uh, started my own little insurance firm. And okay. I was starving, so <laughs> I got this idea that I wrote a lot of health insurance and build a health insurance business oh, because okay. it was it was a lot it was good renewals, and what I did was I started a little newsletter, so they saw my picture every month, and I visited every business that I had with the health insurance twice a year, so that enabled me to go back to school, and then oh, okay. I could finish school, and uh, it was so hard, Mike. It was probably the most mammoth task I ever took on. Here I am, a, a veteran, and it would help my PTSD tremendously because now I'm focused in school. I'm really right, right, focused right, right. in school. Right. I got up every morning at 5 o'clock and studied, and, uh, you know, and I went to work, saw the clients, came home, took my kids to Little League Baseball, soccer, helped them coach, and then went back into my room at 8.30 at night and studied till 12.30. Ugh. I did that for 13 years. That's a long period of time. Um, so you started your business, JME Financial Services, in 1987. Correct. Um, at that point, you were doing some medical insurance, now you're doing a little bit of life insurance, but now you're getting into the financial planning. Definitely in the financial planning. And so were you at that time licensed to sell securities? I became licensed at that time. Okay, good. So I got a series seven, okay. series 24. Okay, that's yeah. the principle, okay. Yeah. And did you ever have any uh, licensed employees working for you? No, I did not. Okay. I only had administrative people. Okay. And did you have administrative people back then already or not for a bunch of years? I started part-time and then in about three or four years, the business started to really evolve yep. and I okay. needed full-time help. Oh, believe me. Uh, yes, it's you know, what happened. I know it is. And you yeah. know, in our industry, they say once you hit a threshold of, call it income, and it's kind of weird, the moment you hire someone, all of a sudden it opens the floodgates and your business vaults again. Did you find the same thing? Yes, exactly. That's Be what began to happen. Right, because then you don't get bogged down with all of the administrative paperwork, which... Whew.
is a lot. <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. It's it's tremendous. It's a tremendous task. Yeah, it definitely is. So, so, so that helped tremendously. You need administrative help. Oh, there's no doubt. So now, 1987 to here we are in 2021. A lot of time has transpired, but. You don't, what happens is you don't think about that business succession plan because you're so busy growing it. So here I am, I woke up one day and I'm in my mid-50s and uh, I started to think about, well, you know, what, what, if something happens to me, who's going to take care of my clients? That's right. what you think about. And then you, would, you meet your peers and, you know, you have other associates in the business and you start talking and everybody says the same thing. Mm -hmm. When you're 55 years old, you say, it's nothing to worry about. I'm going to work this business and oh, I'm going to work until I, I, oh, easy. I die. Right, you exactly. Know, that's, it's going to happen. So you're invincible during that time and you don't pay any attention to it. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're 60, 61, 62 years old like I was. And I started to turn around and go, oh, my gosh, I, I can't do 70, 80 hours anymore. I can't run like I'm doing and do all the tasks oh. that I'm doing. Oh, I know so that. You, so you load up more administrative people and you start to think about seriously now what happens to my clients and i love my clients all my clients became uh, a relationship they oh, were all, I know that all, is. and you met them yes and they all it was a deep relationship and i'd go to their weddings they come to my functions and mm -hmm. that's the relationship that we had that i evolved and what began to occur is you have to now start to look at how do i uh, uh, if I become disabled or if I die, who's going to take care of my clients? Right. That was my really main concern. Of course. I never thought about retirement at that age, but I just, if something happened and I wasn't here, because it was starting to happen around me. Yeah. Some of the older uh, gentlemen and ladies who I grew up with in the business, they were older than me and their life was expiring. So you know, I began to think about those things. Interesting you say that. Um, when I first thought about business succession planning was in 2014, where was I? Just, I was knocking on door 50. So it was at that time that I hired a junior guy out of college. Yeah. Sharp, sharp as a tack. Um, and I was telling my clients, I hired this junior guy who can take over for me later, or um, if I get hit by a bus, there's somebody here. And what I found remarkable, if I told six or seven clients, every single one of them, almost verbatim, said the same thing. You know, I was wondering right. what would happen. That's and I'm true. like, wow, that just sent an incredibly important message to me. It's a great message that the clients are asking you, who's gonna take care of me if something happens right. to you? That's right. a wonderful question. And, I think that's one of the great things about our business is that what separates us, I think, from a lot of other financial advisors is the, the intrinsic value that happens between an advisor and that client, the trust, the relationship that goes, they're trusting us with their whole life. Oh. And, and we are trying to have that fiduciary responsibility because the law says it, but I think What's embedded inside your heart is that you want that client to do well. You want that client to oh, succeed. Yeah. And you start to think about this business succession of who's going to take care of them if something happens to me. 
or you eventually choose. I mean, there's always two ways out of this business. The voluntary route and the involuntary route. That's right. Yeah, I prefer the voluntary. <laughs> Me just, too, Mike. Just, just, it's, just, <laughs> it's a little easier. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the preferred easier. route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The preferred well, the route. other one might be easier, yeah. but, you know, it's maybe not necessarily the preferred <laughs> the route. The best one. Yeah. So, you know, so what happened is I began to start to, to look and figure out a way. I, I attended a... a a business seminar. I started to read some magazines about yeah. it. There was articles. Uh, started to look at the library, look at other people. I would meet them for lunch. They're older than me. How do you do a business succession right. plan? So uh, almost everyone was advising me to find younger people. Yeah. So I was always in the quest. And I'm significantly younger, younger than people. you. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes, you are. Substantially. <laughs> I have that on record. <laughs> but, well, the concept was to find that younger person, you bring them in, and then you would give them all your wonderful right. experience, and they would take over your business and your clients, and everything would be wonderful. Uh, did you, did you didn't try work that, that way? Did you try that? Didn't yes, you? yes, I went did. through three different uh, yeah, it's tough. young people, and their philosophy was, we were so many years apart, their philosophy was somewhat different than mine. Right. And they were more... They're thinking... Uh, they weren't, yes, they were, th yes, the money was an attractive part to them, but they were also looking for, what I learned was they were looking for the easiest way. Yeah. How can I go play golf and let the business run itself? Right. And that was more their philosophy. It was a different era, and, they, and we just didn't gel, so we tried to date each other to find out, and it right. just didn't work. So after a while... Uh, uh, I went to our broker-dealer and yeah. said, I'm having this problem. I mean, how am I going to do this? And they said that there is people inside the broker-dealer that would be interested in buying your business. Right. Okay. They would be interested in looking at it. And the interesting thing is, Mike, is that I, I did this late in life. I advise any advisor who has his own operation or he's with a firm that he should begin to think about his own business succession plan in the 40s because you want to align everything and fee-based. You want to have that top technology. You want to begin to go paperless. Yeah. These are all the things that make it attractive. Of course. But the most important aspect of a business succession plan, I believe, is finding that person who has the very same intrinsic values and who has the same philosophies as you do. Same value system. You're right. Because you're, you're giving them not only millions and millions of dollars, but you're giving them people's lives. You're giving them people who have feelings and who have care and they're following you and trusting you with their, own, with their goals and objectives. Sure. So, of course, I began to interview many, many people in our industry and just couldn't find the I just couldn't find the match right and it was a it was over years uh, it was over at least three almost four years of constantly interviewing somebody and spending time with them right thinking you had the right person but as you indulged more into who they were and you started to learn also about your own self right and uh, I went back to the broker-dealer, and we could never really find a match. We just couldn't find a match. So I said to the broker-dealer, I'm going to go outside to another, I'm going to go out to other firms. Of course, the broker-dealer do doesn't want to lose those assets. They don't want to lose the assets. Of course not. So they're paying attention. And at the same time, what's happening is I am really getting more concerned for my clients. 
and also what's happening to my own physical being and my own mental challenges were starting to slowly deteriorate. Well, the, your biological clock is ticking is what you're really saying because you're running out of time. And, and speaking of running out of time, we're running out of time. So I want to try to... So what ended up happening is that... Well, we what connected. happened, Michael, is I met you. And I don't know if you remember all of the I know points. right where we... I know I could tell you exactly what table we sat at at Applebee's. At the Applebee's. Yep. And we talked, you and I had four, maybe five meetings together, and we never talked about the sale of the business. It was never important well, to you, you or know, to me. So we were talking about our philosophies, absolutely. what was best for our clients, how, did we want, how would they, we make this transition, how can we best f do this for them. These were things that you stole my heart because you had the same points that well, I have clients the same first feelings. You know, and so we handle our clients the same way. I mean, my clients are like my extended family. Yes. They really are. And I could tell, and just in the last almost two years, I see the same with you. And so that's what really made it work very well. And I, I don't know um, how it is with other firms, but I know that when it's with the same firm, it's a whole lot. More it's seamless, way easier, yeah, way easier much because easier. you're literally just transferring you know, an account from one person, one person or one advisor to another, and it enabled us to do a really smooth transition. And I know uh, they talked about it with our broker dealer that they actually wanted to use us as like an example. Yeah, and and I heard the, that. the talk is yeah. still do it eventually. Who knows? But you know, really. Um, the person who match made us, if that's the right word, had said, never seen a success story as good as the success story. You know story. why, Mike? There was one point that I wanted to make. While we were dating each other, there was one thing that was really superb. You looked after me, and I looked after you. That, I think, was the main ingredients. You made sure that I was okay. You made sure that everything in my way was fair, and I made everything, right. made sure it was fair for you. It's our makeup, I believe, who we are, maybe our military background, our parents' background. Mm -hmm. We looked after each other, and I didn't want to do anything that hurt you, and you didn't want to do anything that hurt me. We wanted to help each other. And, and at the end of the day, ultimately, we both had the same philosophy. We wanted to do what was best for the clients. And we wanted to be as seamless. And if you have the right person, if you brought in a, a shark who's nothing, only concerned about the mighty dollar, that wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have that worked wouldn't like, have worked for you, wouldn't have worked. And, and it wouldn't have worked for me. And we're up against that time, and I'd like to pick it up and kind of, you know, say thank you for the, the, the time that we've had together. It's been, it's been absolutely terrific. And so my business succession plan, which I'm not afraid, I'm doing exactly what he is, but I'm getting an earlier start. So my business succession plan is um, I'm hiring the next generation. Yeah. And let's say I'm going to be in the business for 10 more years, 15, who knows, okay? One thing is for certain, I don't know. But if you bring in a group of kids who are educated, have the right um, um, makeup of themselves, care most about the clients, what this does is it gives me the ability to take the next 10 years and divulge all of the knowledge that I have to the junior staff.
But at the same time, too, is it enables um, our clients to be able to spend 10 years with each of the junior staff member who gets assigned, and it'll be seamless. So it's, it's funny. Uh, I love the way you're doing it, Mike, now. That's great. My job for the next 10 years is to make myself expendable. Because yeah. if, if I'm not needed, and that's kind of hard for a lot of people to do, but if I'm not needed, that means it was a successful plan. And furthermore, the kids think different. Yeah, they do. So we do multi-generational planning. And so when I'm working with clients and seeing them into retirement, the younger folks can see them through retirement and be there for the next generation. So the business planning that we're talking about today, again, is a part of the overall financial planning picture, but in a retirement planning. But anybody who owns a closely held business, today we were talking about the financial services, financial planning businesses. Mike had his own business, I have my business, and I've got a staff of eight. Um, and, and it's this can be applied to any business out there. And it doesn't have to be someone from your family, although there's a common thread to pass it down to your children. But sometimes your children aren't interested in your business and you have to be prepared to take that or they're yeah. just not right for it. And so it doesn't matter what your business is. If you want it to have value and you are a very important element and component of the business, then you really need to be thinking five years at a minimum of at least. a business continuity yeah. plan. So, Mike, thank you very much for your time Thanks today. For it was me, Mike. absolutely a pleasure. I, I hope that everyone viewing today got a sense of the concept of business continuity planning. It's about the customer. It's about the person buying the business and it's about you selling the business and and the value of the business will be greater if there's always going to be retention of your customers and clients so i hope you had a great day and i look forward to bringing you next week's episode uh next week we're going to be talking to uh, a gentleman who is an expert in cryptocurrency which makes him the opposite of me i am the what do you call it an anti-expert okay that's me so thank you very much for showing uh showing up i hope you had a great day and see you next week thanks for having me Bye. all right <laughs>